Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now Seth Brown. First pitch. Brown lines a base hit into center field. A little dunker. It's going to score two. And the A's lead 7-1. to one. Here's the set. Runners go. 3-2 pitches. Outside. Ball four. It's a bases loaded walk. And here comes Ruiz to the plate with run number five. Dom Smith is a pinch hitter. Walks. The Nationals now have the tying runs in scoring position. Here's the set. Sneed the pitch. Swing and a hard ground ball toward the middle. Allen boots it out into center field. This is going to tie the game. Garrett has scored. Here comes Rutherford. He has scored. And over to third goes Dom Smith. And the Nationals have done it again. They have scored five runs here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And this game is all even. It's the Nationals 7 and the A's 7. Now Sneed to the belt again. It'll be another 3-2 pitch to Jeter Downs. The kick, and here it comes. Breaking ball, line drive, left center field. It's a base hit! It's a base hit! Here comes the winning run to score in Dom Smith. And they're racing out to Bob Jeter Downs. He has fired his batting helmet 50 feet in the air. The curly W's in the books. And welcome to Nat Chat for Monday, August 14th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is back at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the nickname for the 2023 Nats, of course, has been the Scrappy Nats, as coined by the uh, television voice of the Nats, Bob Carpenter of Masson. But might I suggest a secondary nickname, an alternate nickname, the Weekend Warrior Nats. The Nats now have authored a three-game sweep in three of the last four weekends. Remember, the Nats had not swept a series of at least three games since June 2021. The Nats have gone from that to now having authored a three-game sweep in three of the last four weekends. What is happening here? Sunday afternoon, an 8-7 walk-off win over the Major League Worst Oakland A's at Nationals Park in a game in which the Nats overcame a 7-2 ninth inning deficit with a six-run bottom of the ninth. A miracle ninth for the Scrappy Nats. The Nats now are 15-8 and eight over their last 23 games. The Nats now are 53-66, and 66, two wins shy of the team's win total for the entirety 
of the 2022 regular season. Uh, Mark, <laughs> this was someday on Sunday at Nationals Park. Yeah, I, I want to thank the Nationals for helping ease me back in after my week uh, in COVID isolation. Nice, simple, quiet game to work my way back in, not just throwing everything at me all at once there with one of the craziest ninth inning rallies I've ever covered. I, the only other one I can think of that it reminded me of was the famous Kurt Suzuki bottom of the ninth to beat the Mets in September of 2019. And wouldn't you know who was standing on first base as that all happened that night? A guy named Dom Smith, who was then of the Mets, and he wound up playing a key role in this win. And he said, he told me afterwards that he was thinking about that game himself and remembering that compared to this one, how nice it was to be on this side. Look, you want to call him scrappy? Call him scrappy. Here's what I'm going to call him. Good. Yes, the Washington Nationals right now are playing good baseball. They are 19-12 and 12 since July 8th. That's the best record in the National League East, the third best record in the National League. Since July 8th, we're talking more than a month. I get it. They've got a long way to go. This rebuild is far from complete. There have been some fluky elements to some of the stuff that they have done. But you know what? They are winning games, and they're actually getting to a point now where if it's close late, you don't expect them to lose. You expect them to find a way to win. They certainly did that in this weekend. I mean, you had back-to-back walk-off wins. I mean, remember, it wasn't that long ago that this team never put forth walk-off wins. Now it feels like every other game is a walk-off win. Saturday night, the 3-2 walk-off win in a game in which the Nats overcame a 2-1 eighth inning deficit. And then Sunday afternoon, this 8-7 walk-off win overcoming a 7-2 ninth inning deficit. You could write like a book about what happened in this ninth inning. I mean, You have to start with this. The A's are horrendous, okay? I mean, the A's are as bad as, you know, we thought they were. It's one thing to look at the standings and the stats and see the season that Oakland is having. To actually watch the A's up close and personal in this series. Like, this team really is bad. The record now is 33-85. and The run differential now is a horrific minus 284 on the year. So there's no doubt that part of what happened this weekend, certainly in the ninth inning on Sunday afternoon, has to do with what and who the A's are. But this ninth inning, man, this is one of the stranger rallies you'll ever see in terms of all of the different things that went into the inning. And the ultimate capper is who ended up being the hero of the inning. Jeter Downs. Jeter Downs, of all people. A guy who has barely played during his time at the major league level this season. It was on August 3rd that the Nats were called downs from AAA Rochester. This was done off the Nats the previous day, having optioned Luis Garcia to Rochester. Jeter Downs earlier this season was at the major league level with the Nats, April 11th to May 3rd. He, during that time, played in just one game. He, this time at the major league level, has barely been playing. He, on Sunday afternoon, only played because C.J. Abrams left the game due to back spasms. Downs comes off the bench, and he comes through not once but twice in this six-run ninth, a leadoff six-pitch walk, and then the walk-off hit, a two-out, full-count RBI single to left center for the 8-7 win. I mean, of all the guys you could have pegged to be the hero in this game, Cape Ruiz had the walk-off homer on Saturday night. Okay, that makes sense. He's Cape Ruiz. Jeter Downs? <laughs> like, that is bonkers to me. It absolutely is. And the fact that he both started and finished the rally with two great at-bats. And there were a bunch of really good at-bats throughout the entire inning. But both of Downs' at-bats were outstanding. And, like, let's be clear. I know Davey did tell us afterwards that Abrams had some back spasms. 
I think if this is a close game, C.J. Abrams is still in there till the end. They weren't bothering him enough to prevent him from running onto the field and celebrate when they won the game. So it's not like he's back on the trainer's table as this is all happening. This was, in Davey's mind, and I'm sure in a lot of other people's mind, a game that was going to be lost at 7-2. to two. Let's get our young shortstop off the field, give him a breather. Yeah, he's probably dealing with something in his back, but it didn't sound like it was that severe. And so you end up putting the guy who's literally the last man on the bench, who hardly ever plays at all, and you throw him into this situation. And look at how he delivered. There was a great at-bat to draw the walk, to get the whole thing started. And then it was funny, he said, after he scored, he looks up at the scoreboard and realizes, I'm not that far away from hitting again. I better stay mentally into this and engaged. And sure enough, here he is stepping to the plate yet again. It was 25 minutes later from when the inning started to when it ended. He comes up to bat again and worked another great at bat, 3-2, fouled off a pitch. And then the game-winning hit came on a, a pitch that was in off the plate and he fought it off and got just enough on it. It wasn't pretty, but he got enough on it to float the ball over the shortstop's head and clean into center field for the game-winning hit. And good for Jeter Downs, who, as we've talked about, is a former top prospect of the Dodgers and the Red Sox, whose career has just taken a nosedive ever since. He's up here not because of anything he did at AAA to earn it, unfortunately. He hit 175 down there. When they decided to send Luis Garcia down, Jeter Downs was on the 40-man roster, so they brought him up. As we've mentioned, he's basically been stashed on the bench, started one game in that doubleheader against the Phillies, came off the bench in this one. This was his first hit as a national. I don't know what the future holds in store for Jeter Downs, but he's always going to have this moment and good for him for having it. The Nats in the bottom of the ninth scored the six runs on four singles, three walks, RBI sack fly, crucial error, pass ball. I mean, the epitome of the 2023 Nats, the epitome of scrappy Nats, was what happened in this ninth inning. The Nats in this game ended up scoring eight runs on 14 hits to go with four walks, six for 14 with runners in scoring position. Just to highlight how day-to-day that stat can be, two for 15 in uh, risk situations on Saturday night, and then a stellar six for 14 in this game on Sunday afternoon. A lot of heroes for the Nats in that ninth inning in this game. Might I put out there Stone Garrett, who ended up having a really nice series for the Nats. He ended up starting every game in this series, two games in left field, one game in right field. And Garrett in this game on Sunday afternoon as the Nats number five batter, two for four with an RBI double, an RBI single, an RBI sack fly. He also got credited with an outfield assist. He in the sixth run ninth, a one out bases loaded RBI single through the left side of the infield to cut the deficit to 6-3. He also had two-out RBI double in the run-run first, and he had a good series. The 3-2 walk-off win on Saturday night, the game uh, that he started in right field, one for two, single and two walks. The 8-2 win on Friday night, two for three with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. We are seeing Stone Garrett these days play more and more, it feels like, against right-handed pitching and he's doing well against right-handed pitching. He's no longer the one-trick left-handed pitching pony that he had been for so much of this season. Yeah, and he talked about that afterwards, about how he's really been working at it. He appreciates that Davey's starting to give him more opportunities to do that. You know, there was a point there, the ninth, I don't know if it was realistic or not, but facing the right-hander, Davey could have brought in Blake Rutherford or Dom Smith even at that point and done the lefty-righty thing instead. Instead, he stuck with Garrett, who really was the only guy on the team to have good quality at bats all day long. He drove in the first two runs. You mentioned the, what was it, six for 14 runs in the scoring position. Almost all of that was in the ninth. 
there was hardly anything the rest of the day in those spots, except for Garrett, the double in the first, the uh, sacrifice line drive in the seventh. And then in the ninth against a righty, another good quality at bat and drove in the first run of that inning. Now, I don't know where this is headed with him. I think you're going to see some more opportunities to play against righties. I don't know that it's going to be an everyday situation. I think you still got to give Rutherford at least a few more opportunities to see what he can do. And he finally came through the other night as well. But I think for anybody who's in the Nationals outfield right now, with the exception, I guess, of Lane Thomas, you've got a very limited window of opportunity to make a name for yourself before the kids arrive. And when the kids are here, they're taking over. So if you want to make sure that you're still in the conversation at that point, you better make the most of whatever opportunities you have right now. So good for Stone Garrett on this day for doing it. And really, a decent part of the season, he is showing that he can be a productive hitter. An everyday player, I don't think we're there yet with him. But he's certainly showing that he can be half of a platoon and beginning to show signs that he might be able to hit righties as well. It's funny, you're, you're seeing Garrett come on. Alex Call has been better lately. Call has been drawing a lot of walks lately. He has not been the automatic out that he had been for a while. You know, in this game, you had some good plate appearances from Michael Chavis. I mean, so you got some production from the bottom half of the lineup. That had been an issue going back a few games, the bottom half of the lineup, like doing next to nothing. Lately, things have been better. Now, again, you have to say, Oakland is horrendous. Okay. So like, you know, I think the context here does matter, but I salute the Nats for the job that they did. Kate Ruiz in this game on Sunday afternoon, three for five, three singles. This is one of these games in which uh, Kate was the DH and uh, Riley Adams got the start at catcher. Kate was the cleanup batter in this game. Good game for Joy Manessis. He had not done much over the first two games of this series. It combined one for 10, including 0 for 5 on Saturday night, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position on Saturday night. But Manessis on Sunday afternoon as a starting first baseman, number three batter, three for four with a double, two singles, and a walk. So, you know, really up and down the lineup, you got production, everyone getting in on the act. The only hitless starting Nationals player, well, there were two in this game, C.J. Abrams 0 for 3, although he did draw a hit by pitch, and uh, Alex Cole did go 0 for 5 with a strikeout. But yeah, you know, we've talked about this first innings and ninth innings this season. That seems to be when the Nats do the bulk of their damage. In this game, a one-run first and a six-run ninth. And, you know, the A's are bad across the board. The Oakland bullpen is especially bad. And so in this series, you know, you always felt like there was a shot, no matter where you were, no matter what the situation was. And, you know, look, 7-2 going into the ninth, I don't think anyone is feeling supremely confident But once that ninth started going and, you know, multiple Nats had hit, you had to say to yourself, you know, this is possible here because this bullpen for the A's can implode and the Nats have demonstrated an ability to do this, to piece together innings that, yes, do take a while because, you know, you're not getting the home run, but the Nats are capable of stringing together multiple quality plate appearances, playing station to station baseball and erupting as they ended up erupting in that bottom of the ninth. And it's what you heard from the guys afterwards. They said in the dugout, okay, deep down the inning starts. You're not really thinking we're going to pull this thing off. But you say, hey, we've got three more outs. Make them all count. Don't give any at-bats away. But as soon as the ball starts rolling in the positive direction and you get a couple guys on base, the A's are back on their heels. The crowd, such as it was, there weren't a lot left at that point on a very hot, muggy Sunday afternoon. But they're starting to get into it too. And it's so funny how that can flip a game that should be completely in the other team's control is now in your control, even though you're still trailing by multiple runs. I remember Ryan Zimmerman also always used to say this, why he felt like he was so good in those walk-off situations. He said, the pressure's not on me. The pressure's on the pitcher. 
And it felt like the Nationals hitters, everybody who stepped to the plate took that approach. Yeah, they're trailing, but the pressure's on that guy on the mound to somehow get out of this jam that they just created for a team that, as we know, has keeps finding ways to lose games. And I can't help but think, and I think we talked about this maybe last week when they won a game late, the more you do this, the more in the back of your mind you know you've done it and the more confident you are when you're faced with that situation. And it's so interesting to me, the last two years, we would talk about, hey, the boys battled. They brought the time run to the plate and then they never would finish it off. And now all of a sudden they are finishing it off. And that to me is a huge step in their growth as a team. It's not always young guys. Sometimes it's old guys and it's a mishmash of who is participating in it. But I think that's a big step in their development to get over that hump of not just battling, but actually finishing it off and winning these games. And now you believe you're going to win games when it gets late, both when you're trailing to score the runs you need and when you're ahead because you know the back of your bullpen has been so good. So I had this thought watching this series. Yes, Oakland is bad, but I do think that there's something to be said for you face a really bad team against which so many other teams are having success and you have success too, especially when you yourself are a perceived bad team. And I take you back to a little more than two years ago, July 23rd through the 25th, 2021. The Nationals getting swept in a three-game series at the Orioles. The Orioles in 2021 were not unlike the A's in 2023. The O's that season were awful. The Nats were sort of teetering on what's going on with them. They look older. They look out of sorts. Mike Rizzo, in the days leading up to this series, had talked about the possibility of being a seller at the trade deadline. We didn't know if he knew for sure, but a lot of us from the outside looking in were wondering, you know, if Mike Rizzo was about to do what he had really never done since becoming the Nats GM in this era of the Nats being good, and that is sell. And the Nats got swept by the Orioles. And that actually ended up being a measuring stick series in a lot of ways. Like usually the phrase measuring stick game, measuring stick series applies to when a lesser team is facing a better team. You say, okay, we're facing a big boy. How do we do against a big boy? But I think you can have a measuring stick series against a bad team. And it's like, if you don't take care of business against the bad team, what does that say about you? The Nats in July 2021 did not take care of business against the bad team. And that really was an eye-opener, I think, for a lot of people of where that team was, that Nationals team was. Well, here we are now a little more than two years later. The Nats face a really bad team, and the Nats take care of business. And was it perfect? No. Did you have to come back in two out of the three games? Yeah. But I think there's something to be said for this, that you as a team that isn't supposed to be very good, whoop up on a team that is really bad. And I think that says something about where the Nats are. The Nats are a team on the rise. I mentioned earlier, they're two wins away from last season's win total. You know, forget about the Nats avoiding 100 losses this season. The Nats realistically could avoid 90 losses this season. How many people would have anticipated that? The Nats finishing this season with fewer than 90 losses. That's in play right now with how the Nats are doing and with where they are. That's the pace they're on. I think they're right about at 72 wins, 72 and 90 right now, and obviously trending in an upward direction. So yeah, I like what you're saying there. And believe me, I remember that series very well against the O's. And that sort of was the thing that convinced Mike Rizzo, maybe a lot of people to say, all right, you know what? It's time to start over. Had they won those games, maybe they try to hang on and keep the team together and maybe it doesn't go so well. And it actually slows down their process of rebuilding instead of speeding it up. But there's a difference I think the last few years and now between a team hoping to win 
and a team believing it can win and knowing that it can win. The Nationals knew, whether they want to admit it or not, they knew they were the better team in this series. And they knew that they just needed to put themselves in the right position. And if they could, that the better team would end up winning. And I think that's a big step for them. Now, you know, who knows? As they start facing some better competition, maybe they're going to fall back. And there were things about the Phillies series just prior to this that you said, okay, they're they're really not there yet. And they're not. And you're never as good as you look at your best. You're never as bad as you look at your worst. And right now they're at their best. So maybe we're dreaming a little too much about how far they've come. But you can't tell me they haven't made some real progress here and that this isn't going to pay off in the end and that we aren't going to ultimately look back and say that this was a an important stretch of games for them where they started to believe they could win and went out and won and took that next step toward becoming a contender again. Well, there have been so many bad days the last few years that you really come to appreciate the good days and the good stretches. And so the fact that we have good days and good stretches right now stands out and does, you know, illuminate to you that, hey, things are different and are better, aren't complete, but are getting better. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. If you too are on the lookout for some cheaper tickets to the Morgan Wallen Show at FedEx Field in early September, then I suggest you check out the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports and other shows near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. 
Factors Fresh never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the promo code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. Williams delivers first pitch hit of the year to deep center field. Playable, though, for Alex Call back in the warning track. Checks the fence now. That ball's still carrying, and that one is off the wall in play, or it is gone. Goodbye. A home run. Karen back in after hitting the railing beyond the fence. A home run for Zach Geloff is his second of the game and eighth of the year. The rookie has a two-home run game. So the Nats won this series in a lot of ways via the bullpen, especially with the work of the bullpen in the 8-2 win on Friday night off Yohan Adone lasting for just a handful of innings due to cramping. The truth is the bullpen on Sunday afternoon had some problems. Three relievers combined to allow two runs in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, Robert Garcia officially allowed two runs in one and two-thirds innings. Uh, Andres Machado officially tossed a scoreless inning, but in actuality retired just two of the four batters he faced. But we did get a really good relief outing from Joe LaSorsa. And I've said this, every game right now, at least one Nats reliever is doing something that really impresses you. And in this game, it was Joe LaSorsa, two scoreless innings with four strikeouts. The bullpen in games one and two came through. And we, prior to the game, had the very encouraging news that it looks like Hunter Harvey will be coming off the 15-day injured list this coming week. So a Nats bullpen that overall is in a pretty good place right now, at least in terms of performance, may be about to get back its best player. Yeah, that caught me a little by surprise because he's apparently not going to go on a rehab assignment. Faced hitters in a simulated game the other day. It went well. He threw again off the bullpen mound on Sunday morning. And it sounds like unless there's a setback between now and then, they might activate him as soon as Tuesday. So that's a great sign. Now, you hope that you know he's not pushing it to come back too soon. I don't think they would let him, given his history, do that. But that will be a welcome relief. I mean, think about when he went down, what we were thinking – this meant for the bullpen. How are they ever going to get over that loss after everything else they've dealt with? And instead, the bullpen has thrived since then. Finnegan has been nails in the ninth inning, but Weems has been great. Ferrer has been good. Machado has been great. And they've not just survived, but actually thrived with Adam. Now, I'll be interested to see how he looks when he comes back and what the roles are for everyone. I don't think you mess with Finnegan right now as good as he's been. And now there's another name that we've been talking on and off about that it's still a ways to go, but he's about to take a big step, and that's Tanner Rainey, who is now more than a year removed from Tommy John surgery. And he, with I think one more sim game on tap, is going to be ready to start his rehab assignment in the minor leagues. Now, they'll probably use the full month or close to the full month that they have to do that. So it could be mid-September before we actually see him in the big leagues, and it may just be a handful of appearances for him at that point. But he's healthy. And the idea right now is get him out there a little bit, make sure he's good, let him go into the offseason feeling good about the state of his arm, and then all in for next year for him on opening day and being a big part of the bullpen as well. 
I mentioned this with Tim Shovers on the last installment of the podcast, but conceivably you could end this season with Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, and Tanner Rainey all pitching for that back end of the bullpen. And wouldn't that be nice to see? You know, three flamethrowers, three guys who, when they are on, can be really good. And that would be pretty cool if, in fact, we end up getting that. Well, there was a negative with this Nats 8 7 walk off win over the A's on Sunday afternoon, and that was Trevor Williams. He is in a real rut right now, and he had another rough outing on Sunday afternoon. Five runs in four and a third innings, gave up six hits, three home runs, a double, and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He over his mirror, four and a third innings through 92 pitches. Trevor Williams now has allowed the second most home runs in the majors, 28 home runs allowed this season. You big picture his season. He, since the beginning of June, has an ERA of 632. That might surprise some people because for a good chunk of this season, Trevor Williams was solid. We would talk about this. You know, he wasn't great, but he gave you a chance to win. He had an ERA in the threes not that long ago. Well, since the beginning of June, 632 ERA. We have talked about this a bit, but do you think that his spot in the rotation is in jeopardy or do you not think that that's the case? I don't know where they're going with this. You know, this was actually what my game story was until the ninth inning. I had written pretty much all of it at that point. This idea of the six-man rotation, it sounds great on paper, but in practice, it requires some actual performance and some length from your starters because if you don't get that, there's a domino effect on the bullpen, which is now down a man. And I think we saw signs of that in this game where because Trevor Williams didn't get through the fifth inning, you now need to go to a long man. The problem is he already used his long man, Corey Abbott, a couple nights ago when Yoan Adon had to come out of the game with leg cramps. And so now Robert Garcia, who looked good and got five straight outs, first five batters he faced, you've got to push him to try to come back for another inning. That didn't go well. And you see the whole domino effect of all this. So my point as I'm getting to all this is if this is what Trevor Williams is going to keep doing, and if others in the rotation aren't going to be reliable enough to give you five plus innings, I don't know that you can continue with the six-man rotation. Now, there's other moving parts here. Is a Doan going to be all right, both health-wise and performance-wise? I don't know. At some point, are they worried about Gore's innings, Irvin's innings? So I think in a perfect world, if you had five other starters that were good to go and you knew that they were good for the rest of the season, you'd maybe say, let's move Trevor Williams to the bullpen. But I don't know they're in that position right now or that they know for sure they're going to be in that position. And so I think he stays in there, but it is not going well. He's giving up home runs at an alarming rate, six of them in his last nine innings. And he's giving them up on, let's be honest here, 88, 89 mile an hour fastballs right over the heart of the plate. That's not going to get it done. I don't know if he's wearing down from the starter's workload all year. I don't know if this is just the true version of him coming out now over time. Whatever the case, it's hard to believe that if you keep doing the same thing, we're going to start seeing different results. I just don't know if they're in a position to make a change there to see if they can get something better out of him as a reliever. Williams got shellacked, especially in a three-run first for Oakland on Sunday afternoon. He gave up two 400-plus-foot home runs in that first inning, a one-out solo shot by Zach Geloff, a product of the University of Virginia, a bomb to center field 433 feet per stat cast, and then a one-out full count two-run homer by Seth Brown to right center, 408 feet per stat cast. You know, I don't know how much what happens now impacts the thinking for next season with a guy like Trevor Williams, because I think truth be told, 
he'll be in the rotation to begin next season if the likes of Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge are deemed not ready. But you got to think that what's happening with him is making the Nats internally say to themselves, okay, we got this guy under contract for one more year, but we're not going to look at him for next season as being a mainstay in the rotation for the entirety of the season. Like I really think more and more the thinking has got to be you get those five young guys in the rotation next year in terms of Gore, Gray, Cavalli, Irvin, and potentially Rutledge. Again, we'll see. But you know, the days of Williams and Patrick Corbin, it, it just feels like enough's enough. And if you can avoid that, do it. Again, there are circumstances that are going to dictate how soon you're able to do that. But you know, Trevor Williams has gone from being kind of a nice development, a guy who was, who was solid for the Nats. That's not the case anymore. I mean, he right now is the worst starting pitcher in the rotation. You'd rather have Corbin out there right now than Williams, because at least with Corbin, there is an upside that we have seen occasionally. We have not seen the upside with Trevor Williams really in quite some time. No, you're right. And I think they both fall into the placeholder category right now. And the problem is when it comes to placeholders, you need them to hold that place until there are better options available to you. And I just don't think they're there yet. They may get there. I don't know if that's going to happen by the end of the year. May not even happen on opening day next year, but hopefully by May or June, they'll be in a better position where now they can start to slide some younger guys into those spots. But because of their contract statuses, their veteran history, all that kind of stuff, I think you stick with them. I know there are fans out there that are frustrated and say, hey, why not dump one or both of them? I just don't think they have the depth to do that at this point. I think they're locked into continuing to use them until they clearly have five better, healthy, available options. And right now they don't have that. Yeah, Nats ended up sweeping this series with only one good starting pitching performance. Jake Irvin on Saturday night. Adone didn't last for long on Friday night because of the cramping. And Trevor Williams struggled on Sunday afternoon. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. Know this about Window Nation. It has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating. Window Nation is elite. Window Nation is the equivalent of peak Max Scherzer for the Nats. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90Nation or windownation.com. That's 866-90Nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Peterson. He pauses. Now he fires. And that ball is way out of here. A no-doubter from Dylan Cruz. He took an inside fastball, brought his hands through the zone, and blasted it over the left field wall for a two-run shot in the first inning. Dylan Cruz 
making amends for what has been an up and down series with his third home run of the season. So, off day for the Nats on Monday. Next up is a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park. Game one, Tuesday night, 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night, 7.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Thursday afternoon, 4.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And yeah, the schedule is about to stiffen a bit, so let's see what happens. Three games against the Red Sox, then three games against the Philadelphia Phillies, then three games at the New York Yankees. So we'll get a better sense, in theory anyway, of uh, are the Nats in fact improved. But you know, I don't know how you can look at this and not think that the Nats are improved. Like we can debate degrees of improvement, but if you are a Nats fan and you're objective about things, okay, like you're not overly glass half empty, how do you not feel appreciably better about the team right now as compared to a year ago, as compared to six months ago, as compared to three months ago? Like there is real reason to feel better about things. There still are a lot of questions, but this is good to see. This team is getting better as this season is going on, and I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. And that was always going to be the hope that the team would be better at the end than it was at the beginning. There was no guarantee of that, and I'll be honest, I was a little nervous that once we got past the trade deadline, you dealt away one of your best players in Jamer Candelario. Would there be an effect of that? Had they traded Finnegan or Somebody else out of the bullpen, you know, would they suffer as a result? So far, it's only been a few weeks, but so far, they've actually gotten better. I'm not saying they're a better team without Jamer Candelario, but Ildemaro Vargas has more than held his own there at third base offensively and defensively, and other guys are stepping up. And if nothing else, you've got to look at some of the young building blocks. C.J. Abrams, Cabert Ruiz, I know Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray have been hit or miss. Kyle Finnegan has been outstanding and starting to get some contributions from a few other guys, you see a core group developing here. They're not all the way back. They've got a long way to go. They still have to wait for a bunch of these legitimately top prospects to be ready. Things are going well down there. Dylan Cruz hit a couple home runs on Sunday. James Wood hit another homer. Like Things are trending in the right direction there. Stay patient, and in the meantime, keep growing and developing these young players at the big league level, and sooner rather than later, you're going to be adding to that and putting together a roster that I think most fans are going to look at and say, that's a good competitive roster that's getting closer to winning. Yeah, Dylan Cruz on Sunday had a monster game, a 14-13 loss for the uh, Fredericksburg Nationals at Lynchburg. Cruz, as the designated hitter and number two batter, went five for five with a walk. He hit two home runs. He had six runs batted in. Dylan Cruz ain't messing around with the Fred Nats. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, hit up Tim Shovers. The new president of the Oakland Ace fan club, <laughs> Tim Shovers. Uh, email Tim at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Also, find us on our website, NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Here's the set. Three to the Suzuki. Swung on. And deep to left field. Way back. Going. Going. It's gone. Goodbye. One of the wins of the year!
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.